0: Peace to you. Welcome to the first Naked Truth Sunday School lesson, where we're going to begin with the Gospels and going to take them verse by verse, but rather than chapter by chapter, we're going to take them passage by passage. Now we're beginning with, we're going to begin with, if you want to read along with me, the book of Matthew, the Gospel book of Matthew. And since we've already gone over it, if you've read with me before, uh, if you haven't, you can look at the past readings of the Naked Truth, um, the Gospels Uh, They're labeled their chapter by chapter. Just go back to Matthew chapter one. You can read along with us in context, but for you, if you've read with me before, most likely have. Um, We're going to begin with um, chapter three uh, um, of Matthew um, and the first group of verses there, which make it a passage. But before we do that, for review, just in case this is your first time reading with me, just in case, God, I love you too. Okay, got to tend to the lambs as well as the sheep. Um, So just in case, we're going to quickly, you know, as quickly as I can make it, um, go over what we read in um, Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2 before we um, pick up where we left off with Matthew chapter 3, if that makes sense to you. And just in case it's your first time, if you don't have a Bible handy, Uh, you can use the blueletterbible.org website. That's blueletterbible.org website. That's what I um, am using now um, to read along with us if you like. Um, And it has lots of tools you can use, which we're going to get into later. But for now, the first tool we're going to use is going over what we went over. So starting with chapter 1 in Matthew we went over the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and again, you can read back over in context the different people in the genealogy. But what stood out to me was uh, obviously the one identified clearly as it says she was a prostitute um, in Jesus' genealogy, and then another woman who also was a prostitute, but she just pretended to be one. She wasn't actually one; she just pretended to be one to be one so she could accomplish a goal. Um, of having sex with her father-in-law and she accomplished it and got pregnant and none of it was condemned. Not the um, anonymous sex because it, it, the way it's described, it sounds like a glory hole. Um, booths were popular back then, which are in modern terms, glory holes, where people would do religious events, believe it or not. Um, so that's Tamar. That's Rahab. Those are the two that sit out there where we read about. And again, in Jesus' genealogy, and neither one condemned for prostitute behavior. Um, only in modern times, religion flips things on its head. They make what's right, wrong, and wrong, right, and get people to believe it, which is actually another fulfillment of prophecy. Um, so that's those are people in Jesus' lineage. On Joseph's side, that's Jesus' adopted father, stepfather, if you want to think of it that way, human father, with us as Christians believing God being Christ's father. Um, so that's what stood out when we read chapter one, as far as Jesus' genealogy. Um, and then, um, and of course, that's different from the genealogy listed in another place in the Gospels, which God willing will eventually get to, or If you want to jump ahead and get the spoiler alert, you can look ahead when we read the Gospel of Luke. It's listed there and it's different. And you can read along with me, like I said, in context with us, in context if you want to look that Gospel reading up. Again, it's in the book of Luke. Um, So that was Matthew chapter one, what stood out to me there. And then Christ's birth, obviously, what we call the nativity is also covered in chapter one articles of faith as far as the events surrounding them. Not that hard for me to believe. Um, I'm not someone who needs to see to be able to believe, but lots and lots of people are, so I understand that. Um, But if you want to look to uh, sources outside of the Bible, uh, you can do a search for, um, um, because they keep pretty good records on it, um, the astronomical events surrounding uh, eclipses. That'll help set down um, some dates. If you really want to try and research them, um, and also, um, what was the other thing? Just let bye bye. Uh, give me a second. I'll come right back to me. Let's see. Moving on to Matthew two, the thing that stood out to me in that chapter uh, is the mass. What's labeled the massacre of the innocence. You'll see it um, there if you're reading a New King James Version. Um, that's not part of the original um, scripture. It's just the description of the passage, um, and it stands, it stands out to me because it's um, the willingness of people, of what people who say they are righteous and godly will do, the extent they'll go to, um, as far as wickedness and evil, even killing children, um, to accomplish something else, some other goal, thinking they're doing what's God, or at least under the guise, pretending to be doing what's God's will and what they um believe to be righteous. Um in this case what we what we read about in Matthew two, it was the killing off all the little babies to try to get to Jesus. And it's the government that was doing it. Um so uh that lets you know every government isn't up to righteousness. Um and so the government trying to kill off kill Jesus kills off a bunch of innocent kids trying to target Jesus. They missed the mark, obviously. But a whole lot of innocent people died along the way, just like we see happening way too many times in so many ways um, in modern times uh, since then. Uh, so that was in chapter 2 of Matthews. But Jesus did make it through. And uh, as we know, the Christmas story is going to be all everywhere coming up soon. Um, so that was in Matthew 2. That, um, and then we made it now to Matthew 3. And the title of the first passage uh, reads, John the Baptist Prepares the Way. So, again, we're going to do these readings now instead of chapter by chapter. We're going to do them verse by verse, but passage by passage, so we can get a better understanding of what what is really trying to be conveyed by the turn of events in each passage. That being said, beginning with Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So John the Baptist is the same one you know about already. He ends up paying with his life for his ministry. The wilderness of Judea, the same area in modern times uh, that we think of as the Holy Land. He's beginning his ministry. Verse 2, and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John the Baptist begins his ministry this way. Jesus begins his ministry uh the message of his ministry uh the red letters of his ministry similarly with repentance being the first bit of advice the first directive and that means self inspection look at what you're doing whether you're doing what you're doing is things you would want done to yourself or is the way you're treating other people the way you'd want to be treated If you are treating the people the way you would like to be treated, doing the other people the same things you want done to you, then you're righteous, you're doing all right. If you're not, examine that. Um, admit it, admit that you're wrong, and make it right. Whether that's it usually begins with an apology, whether it's to yourself, to your neighbor, to God, and uh then making it right. Restitution is the way the law usually defines it. And like I said in the last reading, reparations is what's legally due to descendants of slavery. Many of those descendants are white. So once some white person bravely stands up and demands they get reparations, which are promised, then even black people will be able to get reparations also. So God bless the right white person who stands up and demands it. It'll take a lot of nerve, uh, but remember, it's not something that hasn't already been paid. White slave owners were already immediately paid reparations um, after the Civil War. So the idea that it's not something that the nation should do, it's something the nation already did. It's something the nation already did and did wrong and excluded the main people who it should have went to. So it's easy to make it right. All we need is one brave white brother or sister to stand up and say, I demand my reparations. And then we can all get them and then move on from race, God willing, or at least make a step forward. Verse um, three, uh, uh, verse two talks about the fact that you have to repent. So as long as you just change the history or hide it, that's not repentance. That's not righteous. That's not Christian. That's not godly. But that is what a lot of states, especially here in America, that's what a lot of places are doing. Um, Verse three, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So here the narrator Matthew is letting us know that John the Baptist is believed to be the fulfillment of what we call the Old Testament. Book Isaiah of Isaiah chapter 40, verse three is what's being referred to. He believes that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that prophecy that Isaiah uh, was documented documented as having said in that chapter. He's saying that he believes that's John the Baptist. He's that manifestation, and he's that voice, that one alone, trying to shout out the truth, the message to people in the wilderness of people, and, um, He stands alone. He's saying he's that fulfillment. He's that. That's John the Baptist. Verse um, 4. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. So he had a special diet. We have all sorts of special diets now. Vegetarians, uh, pescatarians, and uh, gluten-free people all sorts of things, and people have peanut allergies, things that when I was a kid, none of that existed. It existed, but it wasn't like it was now. No one knew. It wasn't um, widely known like it is now. And that was only about 40 years. So to um, imagine, uh, so reading this isn't all that hard to imagine. It's just a, his special diet. Uh, and it's probably one that people who are, call themselves religiously devout in modern times, probably tried to copy or mimic. Um, But that was his diet. That's what he did, and that's what he wore. Verse 5. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. So if you want to use a biblical map, you can see the area that we're referring to, again, basically the Holy Land, are going out to John the Baptist to hear his message. Verse 6. And were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So they're hearing and heeding, they're doing. They're not just hearing what the word is, they're actually doing it. They're being baptized. He's converting people with his message. God bless them. Verse seven. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So the Pharisees and Sadducees are the Bible thumpers in plain English. They're the religious authorities who know it all already, and they don't want you giving them any direction, and they aren't giving you any direction that's going to lead you to God. But it will do what modern televangelists do. Not just them, evangelicals in general in America, but religion around the world in general is set up to enrich themselves. It's not set up to lead people to God. It's set up to lead people to your pockets. And that's generally what most of them do. And it's not just my word. You can turn on your TV and turn any one of them on and they may preach a message uh, and may mention God, but it'll be rare if they mention a message that includes a whole message, a whole chapter on Jesus, or mentions anything quoting Jesus. And again, that's, that's just my opinion. But you can look it up yourself and see it's not all that rare. It's actually extremely rare to see anybody preaching uh, Christ's words um, as a full message. Moving on, John's calling them out. He's doing what we call name calling. He's calling them a bunch of snakes, brood of vipers, and he's doing it to their face. So people try to be very holy and righteous and prim and proper. And would think, oh, I would dare do such a thing. That's outrageous. Some even in my family would be like that, and I've had to tell them. Sometimes that's the only thing some people will understand. That's the only way to get through to some people. Like when, like I've mentioned before, having to go through with my own family who try to be act like they're so righteous and holy and Christian and so forth. And sometimes you have to meet people where they're at. Some people call it fighting fire with fire, but in reality. What they're using isn't fire. The truth is the fire. What they're using can be extinguished. But you just have to, I don't know. That's just been my approach. Um, but what John is doing, he's calling them out, plain and simple. And verse 8, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Now he's advising them. He's not just calling them out for it they're going wrong. He's advising them on how to go right. And um, he's saying... If you're going to, once you repent, because that was the first part of the message, then it's bear fruit. So it's show that you've changed. Don't go right back to the same hypocrisy that you were enjoying before, hiding before, ashamed of before, which you knew about in your heart before. You just hadn't confessed it. But now that you realize it and you've confessed it, don't go back to it. Bear fruit or there repentance. Show that you've changed. Verse nine. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So this would apply to a whole lot of our Jewish brothers and sisters who think that just because they share that in common with Jesus, because that's the religion Jesus was born into, that's the chosen people that uh, Christ, the anointed one, Jesus, as we know him, plain English, to... Um, emerge from people a lot of people i think mistakenly and according to what we just read mistakenly believe that that's their ticket into heaven but in reality um like we're reading here that's not your ticket into heaven that's not a sure thing the invitation is also to you as again jesus himself was born jewish so his but his message was not a religion of the jewish religion his message is completely different as we read again from anything else in the Bible, from the religions that were before the Jewish religion in the Bible, and different from the religions that arose after the Christian message that is in the Bible. Jesus' message is entirely different, and it's open to whomsoever will. Anyone's able, um, uh, it's open to whoever will willingly accept it. Um. So, G- what John the Baptist is saying here, because again, this isn't red letter either, either so Jesus didn't say it. John the Baptist is saying it, is letting people know, don't trust in that. Don't let that be your faith. Verse 10, and even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear fruit, good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John the Baptist is saying, it seems to be what he's saying, is that it's a a pivotal moment happening right there, right then in front of their eyes. And a lot of destruction is determined and it's happening even now. And they don't even realize it. Verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So what John the Baptist is saying there is pointing to Jesus, his cousin, he's letting them know that, they think they're looking to John the Baptist as the religious authority because that's who the people have now come to recognize he, him to be, which he is. But what he's letting them know the only authority, the, the sole purpose of the message he's giving is to point to Jesus. He's not doing any of the things he's doing for um, fame for himself. Instead, He's only waving a flag the same same way someone who's controlling traffic during construction would be uh, waving a flag. He's waving the flag so that people will know, here's your exit, here's your hope, here's your salvation. Not in me, but in looking to me to point, to go to where I'm pointing to, to point to Jesus. That's where your salvation is. That's where our salvation is. That's where our hope is. And then the last part of what he said in that verse is the baptism, the baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's two different baptisms. The the first one will be the Holy Spirit. That would be that second birth that uh, we read about in John chapter 3. Not being born from above, like certain preachers will twist and pervert it to say. That's not what it says. And we know that's not what it says because Nicodemus' follow-up question wasn't, how can a person be born from above? Uh, How can a person be born from above when he's old? That's not what he said. He said, how can a man be born again? How can he be born a second time? How can he be born again from his mother's womb? Letting us know. He didn't respond with saying, how can a man be born from above? So don't let people twist that unless you just want to be twisted and brainwashed. Don't let people twist with the truth of what it actually says to you in the Bible. Because that's a slippery slope of falling into deceit, I think, my opinion, my suggestion. Um, oh, and then the second part of that, and with and fire. So some versions of the Bible will omit the part about and fire altogether. Um, I could only imagine if it is an actual part of what was said. Again, it's not red letters, so it may make sense, be true, false, God only knows. If it's true. The other part to me would make that would make sense would be the Holy Spirit will be the um, divider. The ones on right the side of righteousness, Christians, actual righteous Christians, will be um, on the the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and those who choose not to will be the ones baptized to into dropped into the fire. Verse twelve. His winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John the Baptist is letting, not John the author of the gospel, John, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, is saying, finishing up this passage with telling the people, exhorting the people, warning the people that a judgment is at hand. Um, not in the sense that people may preach to you judgment is that, oh, there's a great white throne judgment. That's not what Jesus says. Not that there's a judgment day where you're going to meet your maker when you die. That's not what Jesus says. We've read again and again, I brought it up again and again, so I won't go into it, keep it now. If you're interested in reading it, you can read it yourself with me in context, even the video version, which is what I recommend. Read it there for yourself and see the triple X Bible. Not triple X because it's explicitly sexual or anything, For triple X because it's hidden and people act like it's something that only a few should be able to understand or know when in reality, to me, it's the path to finding the truth. So back to verse 12, the last verse in this reading uh, for the Sunday school reading, is um, John the Baptist letting us know and letting uh, them know that um that judgment day is at hand because that's what the threshing is about about an unquenchable fire because that's what you do once you set, separate the seed or fruit from the the chaff or the shell the shell the chaff the waste goes into the flames it goes to garbage it goes to waste in modern times though that doesn't have to be the case that's why again this is not gospel it's not red letter because red letters should stand up for always forever unchanging which the rest of the Bible does not. Um, uh, but you can use those things for other purposes now and repurpose and reuse them and save the planet, God willing. Although so many people dump their Bibles, seem dead set against that for some reason. God only knows. That was the last verse in this chapter, uh, in this passage. So that's where we'll end this Sunday school reading. And that's where we'll catch up from here, um, God willing. As we begin these Sunday school readings, passage by passage, verse by verse, to understand um, more of an, in a nutshell, more concisely what is trying to be conveyed uh, by Jesus in the Gospels, since we've already gone over the Gospels in full before, and so we'll end this reading with the passage of the day, and before, and we'll end it with the passage of the day, but we'll also um, go over with the first three passages meant to me and why I um, repeat them to myself, recite them to myself, use them for myself uh, in my own Christian walk. Uh, In case you're interested in doing it yourself, because at some point, God willing, they'll become repetitive. So hopefully they'll help you to remember them too and help you function in your walk, just in case you need that sort of uh, medicine along the way in your Christian walk. So We're going to begin with the first one. It was the helper, the Holy, uh, that was John 14, 26, 27. It was number, the first one. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring your remembrance. All things that I said to you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let let it be afraid. John 14, 26, 27, it stands out to me and I use it to affirm my faith and understand the function of the Holy Spirit in our life as Christians, to bring the different gospels to our mind so that we can know and immediately understand, comparing them when we hear different dogma and doctrine and understand if it actually is something Jesus said or not, if it aligns with what Jesus said or not, and that's part of what it is, the Holy Spirit, in my understanding, does for us, us also. So that's why that verse in a nutshell stands out to me. Um, the second verse um, is Matthew eleven, twenty-eight and twenty nine and thirty. And it's come to me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11, 28, 29, 30. It stands out to me because it's Jesus letting us know. It's Again, it's red letter. Jesus letting us know that what he's bringing us is different than everything else that religion offers you. Religion will tell you, you need to do this, 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 and this 10 times a day. Or if you mess up on doing it, then you have to give us 10 of these, 100 of those, 30 of these. Example. Hail Mary's just as an example in general. If you mess up, you have to give us 30 of those or whatever your religion may tell you to do. Jesus doesn't affirm any of that. Jesus doesn't tell us to do any of that. And so in my mind, that verse stands out to me because it lets me know Right, it reminds me. The path of Christianity, specifically red-letter Christianity, following the red-letter things of what Jesus had to say, his quotes, brings that rest because it doesn't carry the baggage of all that dogma. So then verse 3, the third verse, um, is John 3, 16, 17, which we went over recently. And that's one of the most popular ones ever in the world. Um, One of the most quoted, it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's John 3, 16, 17. That one's huge to me because it talks about something on a universal level, God's love, not for people. That was the big surprise. It doesn't say God so loved humanity so much or God loved his children so much or God so loved loved people so much. Jesus himself says, God loved the world so much. So I think when we try to understand why does God let poverty happen? Why does God let massacres happen? Why does God let thousands of people be wiped out when tsunami happened? It's because God loves the world. It's not the people that God loves. I think, and this is just my opinion, as we've went over before, God sees the world or experiences the world the same way we experience our favorite video games or virtual, virtual reality game or movie or uh, sport. It's something we thrill in and enjoy in. But it's something we're separated from, that we're not all that attached to the players or the characters or uh, the the pawns on the game, on the board game or whatever it is. But we enjoy the experience of it. I think perhaps maybe that's how God sees the world. That's how God loves the world, not necessarily attached to us individually, unless we take the effort, make the effort and take the time and heart and drive to pursue A one-on-one relationship with God Almighty as a love, as a lover, as a father, as a one and only, as a greater than all others. Um, And it's a choice for us to do that or not. But I think when we do do that, God takes notice of it and we uh, we experience God a different way. Other than that, I think in general, and this is why John 3.16 stands out to me, it's God. It's the world that God actually loves, not necessarily the people. And Jesus, big-hearted enough to give up his own life for God's enjoyment of the world, knowing that ultimately, as humiliating and painful and terrible, all the experience of the crucifixion was, and not to mention the betrayals and denials and uh, the friendships and connections of the, some of the apostles, like Judas, like Peter before the crucifixion, And the denial of people since then, denying some people even that Jesus even ever existed. Going through all of that for humanity's sake, Jesus was still willing to do that, probably because Jesus had a big picture view of things, has a big picture view of things, knowing that death, even as horrible as it was, humiliating as it was attempted to be put on him, like the Stanford and experiments type stuff comes to mind like we went over, Jesus still willingly went through it, knowing that wasn't the end, knowing he could take his life up again, knowing that, was, that life, death in the flesh, wasn't the end for him. And I believe as Christians, we have the option of passing from judgment and death also in embracing Christ as our Savior. Just my opinion, just my belief. Just our Sunday school lesson, the first one here, and this is where we'll end it. Um, with today's uh, verse uh, uh, passage, which, having said all that, turns out is not a red letter. It's the first one. It's not a red letter, but I do include it in my daily gospel affirmations or you know Christian affirmations But daily verses. It's uh, John three thirty six. It's so it's close. It's close to what Jesus just said in three sixteen. It's what John. It's what the narrator or John. Um, in this case, not the Baptist, but the gospel writer, John, the disciple, has to say about Christ and his mission. And it is John 3.36. It's he that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's John 3.36. So that's, again, not red letters, so it's not necessarily true, because it's not gospel truth. Jesus didn't say it. But it is gospel. John's, uh, the disciple John's way of saying that the invitation, I believe, of saying that the invitation is open to whomsoever will um, to accept it. Um, but if you decide not to, if you reject it, that's your choice too. Um, uh, but uh, it, it, uh, a price, there's a price to rejecting it. Um, the wrath of God, that would be, is um, what you can expect if you do. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, I love you. Appreciate you joining me for The Naked Truth and for Sunday School. Hope it's a blessing for you that you'll join me again. See you next time. Peace be with you.